Good morning and welcome to the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy G and I'm a recovered compulsive eater, overeater from Maryland. Today's date is Tuesday, April 26, 2022. Today we are reading from the big book, An Alcoholics Anonymous. We are in a doctor's opinion. And today we'll be reading paragraph X, we'll be on page XXX, fifth paragraph, reading that one paragraph only, starting with all these and many others have one symptom in common. Today's readers are, and thank you for Team Tuesday, Larry K, Nancy T, Carmela M, Carmela G, uh, Naomi G B, Davlin E, our newcomer greeter Loretta M, our host for the second unrecorded hour Chris G, and announcements Janice P M. The reference numbers for yesterday, Monday, April 25th, 2022, 7 a.m. 18,879. That's 18. 879 and for the 10 a.m. 18,880 18880. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members we are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. It is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overreader who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Naomi GB to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Naomi. Good morning, everybody. I'm a compulsive overeater. My name is Naomi GB from Ontario, Canada. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much for this opportunity to do service. Thank you, Naomi. I will now ask for Davlin E. to read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, Davlin. Thank you, Amy. This is Davlin E. from Manitoba, Canada. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, eat, oops, sorry, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you so much, Davlin. Okie doke, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go over, you'll hear me say time, or you'll hear the beeper in the background. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only, please. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. Again, this meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute your phone. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study. In the big book, we are in the doctor's opinion on page XXX, 
We are on the fifth paragraph, reading that one paragraph only, and I'm going to ask Larry Kay to get us started. Go ahead, Larry, step up to the mic. All right, Amy, thanks so much for your service. I'm Larry Kay. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we've suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Okay, so this concept of the allergy is critical. We hear it again and again. Um, We are biologically mandated to want more after taking the first bite. It's insidious. And if we look in contrast, every time a normal eater consumes food, of any type of food, at some reasonable period of time, they become satiated, right? In other words, they become physically satisfied. And when that happens, naturally, they become disinterested in eating more of the same. Not so much with us. Our desire for more does not become satisfied. Rather, our desire for more becomes magnified. Our desire for more becomes amplified. And when we take that first bite. But if you think about it, if we never had to deal with any of this, um, if, we, if we don't put our alcoholic food substance into our bodies in the first place, we'd be fine. And, but my mind tells me that it's okay to take the first bite, and it doesn't see what, that what I'm about to do is harmful. That's the mental obsession. That's the very nature of my powerlessness. And if I'm not spiritually fit, I can't stand being abstinent because my thinking and emotions are too uncomfortable. And that's the very essence of the spiritual malady, which of course, drives the unmanageability of my life. So whether they're eating or not, you know, a a compulsive overeater is powerless over food because of the mind and the body, and their life is unmanageable, especially their inner life because of the spiritual condition. And, you know, coincidentally, the, the, the steps deal directly, and they deal effectively with both our spiritual condition and with the mental obsession. But the way my body handles alcoholic foods is only going to get worse as time passes. So there's nothing that I could do about the physical feature of the disease except stay away from that taking that first alcoholic bite, entire abstinence. So that's the simple definition of what it means to be a compulsive overeater. I can't handle eating because of the physical allergy and mental obsession, and I can't handle not eating because of the spiritual malady. Our answer to this uh, dilemma it's, it's going to be a simple one. It's not going to be self-help books or a less stressful job or a different partner, not a new home, none of those externals. You get the point. I must have a spiritual awakening as the result of the implementation of the steps. That's what's going to give me relief. It's not going to come from worldly things, from external things. It's going to come from an inner revolutionary transformation as a result of taking these steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Amy. Thank you so much, Larry. Way to get us started. Okay. And although we value everyone's experience, strength, and health, if you have shared on Monday or Friday, the last couple of days, we ask that you allow others to share first their experience, strength, and health as well. So 
who would like to share on what was read? Tina M. MCP. John M. MCP. Melissa Singh from New York. Kathy T. Kathy A. Did you get Nancy P? L. Jackie. I got Nancy. Yep. Jackie, I forgot E. Um, okay, I've got Tina S., Nancy T., or P. I always get those two mixed up. Melissa C., Jackie E. We got, I missed a bunch of people in there. Who else, please? I think Nancy T. was actually Nancy P. Okay, got it. Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> Rick J. John M. J. John M. Elena C. Elena C. Sorry, y'all came in in a bit of a jumble there. Was anyone? Did I? Did I miss anyone? Rick J. Rick, I got gotcha. you. Glenn C. Glenn C. Nancy R. Nancy R. All right, now we got ourselves a great lineup here. I've got Tina F., Nancy P., Melissa C., Jackie E., I think it was, Rick J., John M., Elena C., Glenn C., and Nancy R. All right, Tina, it is your turn. Please go ahead. Thanks so much, Amy, for your service. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Wow. Yeah, and thanks so much for the leading share. That was just phenomenal. You know, and, and I'm just so grateful that I know that I'm in the right place, which I never knew before I got here, you know. And, you know, what I really can relate to is that phenomenon of craving, you know, and that it sets me apart. You know, we're a separate entity. You know, I never knew any of this kind of stuff. And once I put this stuff in my body, look out. There I go. You know, and I, I can remember, you know, I must have figured something out. You know, I must have known that once I started, I wouldn't stop because, you know, of this cycle of uh, binging and not eating, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You know, I knew that if I was going to eat, there had to be plenty there. So I must have known or in my mind, I was thinking, well, hell, you know, let's go all out. You know, I'm not quite mm -hmm. sure what where the thinking was, you know. But, you know, it tells me the only relief is entire abstinence, you know. And I didn't want to hear any of that. I thought that, you know, maybe somehow, some way, someday I could have just a little bit, you know, that I could eat like a normal person. But what I know today, and I'm so grateful that it has been shown me, you know, through my own experience and through people's experiences and, you know, working the steps. And, you know, I love that it was shared, you know, the, you know, the spiritual awakening is the ticket and I didn't come here to get spiritual and I didn't come here to make friends none of that kind of stuff you know but I'm so grateful today that I stayed to have some spiritual growth and to make some friends and to get this solution you know that what if I don't put this stuff in my body then I don't have that you know but what do I do when it, you know I love that he talks about you know that that the 12 steps you know to take care of um, you know not putting the stuff in my body certainly takes care of that allergy but the steps take care of my mind and you know and until I can have that freedom which comes in step 10 you know what do I do you know I work these steps I reach out to other people I cannot do this on my own and, and I stress this because I work with some people that you know they struggle but you know it is about reaching out you know we're not alone in this and I don't want to ramble but this is just a, a precious paragraph with that I'll pass thanks mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right Tina thank you so so much all right Nancy P please go ahead it's your turn followed by Melissa C Hi, good morning. Um, thank you for letting me share. This is Nancy P. Recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
all these and many others have one symptom in common. And I can just say first that I was all of these people. I was, um, you know, unwilling to admit I couldn't take, you know, couldn't eat. I was, um, I was not manic depressive, but I had suffered from depression. Um, and I was a, an, out, an out mental defective once I started eating. And my problem was all of those things and that I just didn't want to be one of the bunch. You know, I didn't want to be, you know, I had been in this program for so long and I never wanted to be in it. I never wanted it. I just wanted to be, just please make me thin and serene. I promise I'll do all that other stuff. Just make me better. And, um, you know, and I, I didn't get that, that that wasn't it. You know, I've, I've, today I wouldn't take that if I could. Um, because this phenomenon of craving, this thing that makes me um, different, that I break out not in spots but in craving, um, it's that very thing that this program addresses. And uh, today I'm out and proud, both as an agnostic and as a compulsive overeater, I am a real and separate, distinct entity. There's nothing that's going to help me except this, this thing that takes care of me, this thing that resides in my brain that not only takes care of me, it protects me and keeps me safe. So it doesn't feel like relief. I know relief isn't cure. My, my life today doesn't feel like mere relief. It feels like I'm cured. As long as provided, and if, and if means promise, consequence, or threat, I stay in fit spiritual condition. Um, you know, abstinence is not the answer for me. You know, I don't chase it. I don't, I don't worry about it either. Um, all I do is, you know, I drive on, down the road of happy destiny in my little car with the rubber band motor, you know, chug, 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 and um, the journey itself is the destination for me. And I feel cured. I feel you know, I feel like it's behind me, all of it, even though every day all I have to do to get spiritual experience is wake up in the morning because there's always another opportunity to do what? Say it with me, begins with S and rhymes with surrender, 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 and that's with that I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy P. from Massachusetts. Wow, okay. Um to see you're up followed by Jackie E please go ahead hi good morning Amy thank you so much for your service this morning I'm Melissa Sam recovered compulsive over here I live in New York and I think this is a crucial paragraph I think there's besides the fact that it's going to tell me remind me again that I've got this allergy and it doesn't matter what my you know classification is as far as my psychological analysis, you know, someone's going to diagnose me psychologically. But that what really matters is I've got this allergy, and that makes me different. I'm separate, and that's the part, I think this is a crucial part of step one, my step one understanding, not just that I'm powerless and unmanageable, but that I'm different. I am bodily and mentally different from other people. I'm I'm a distinct entity. It sets me apart and makes me different from other people. And why that's so important, you know, for me is all my life, I just, I knew I was different. I always felt different. And I just wanted to be normal. <laughs> I just thought if I could look normal, I could be normal. If I could get to a normal weight, I could be normal. 
if I could be normal, I could be normal, and I'm not, you know. And um, and so why that helps me today is once I know that I'm not like other people, and I'm not going to look at the rest of the world and face the way that I live on how they live. I have a different set. I've got a different, yes, I have a food plan that I have to weigh and measure, and I have to, you know, live in agreement with that. I have to live a very disciplined, structured life. I have to surrender every morning, you know, to a higher power. I have to follow those ideals. I can't I can't get um, worked up over anger and self-righteous indignation. I, you know, can't walk around being owned by my fears, can't gossip. Like, there's a whole host of things. I have to make restitutions for harm done. And why do I have to do those things? Because I'm separate and distinct from other people. And it can never be eradicated, no matter what my normal body size is today. I have this allergy, but I also have a mind that will tell me, you know, give me a few days, give me a few days alone without doing any of those things. And my mind begins to tell me, you don't have to do any of those things. And here, by the way, have an ice cream, you know. And so um, once I know this and accept this and I fully embrace it, um, then I can get on with the business of, of, like I said, living on the side of one side of the page where I've got a, a whole way that I need to live. But I've got a group, you know, mostly I, I would say like all you guys today that are on that side of the page with me. Thanks with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. Wow, great shares, everyone. Let's keep it rolling. All right, Jackie, you are up. By Rick J. Hi, everybody. This is Jackie A. from Connecticut. And I learned that it's actually spelled Jackie with an I. There's no E in the member directory, which is correct. Um, this, this page and this paragraph hit home for me uh, when it talks about the psychopaths are emotionally unstable. I can identify with feeling that way uh, in my past. Um, in, when it comes to the manic depressive type, I identify that as like the type 2, um, 2.9 of the female population that has mood disorders that qualify for this. And it's talked about on page 88 as well in the top. When we talk about the types that are entirely normal, intelligent, friendly people, I think about my fellow uh, colleagues in in healthcare, in integrated healthcare, addiction specialists, doctors, psychiatrists, this is my profession, this is my field, this is my tribe as well. And then when it talks about, if I could, I would have action figures of Dr. Sigler 3D printed and on my desk at all times. And I would be, I would call them Captain Siggies. Like I love, I love the doctor's opinion. But I really appreciate what's written here the most is that Dr. Stigworth was humble and honest enough to know that he's not going to be the last physician in the entire life, but he can leave a lasting legacy. And he doesn't write in caps here. He doesn't write with his own personality. Mind you, I think he was amazing. Is that he talks about that this is a suggestion. Now, I think what he's suggesting is correct. And he's saying that the, the phenomenon we have suggested and it goes on to say it differentiates. And it goes on to say there has never been any treatment 
that they are familiar, that has permanently eradicated. And I really feel that learning the 12 steps and 12 traditions and, and the wisdom out of the entire big book, all 164 pages, and all of its humility, its way to say this is the flashlight, this is the foundation, is that he's saying, please investigate. This is a real component. You cannot un, un, uh, twist and turn your DNA now, your, your, your body anymore. You, all you can do is understand that there's a phenomenon of craving. And I have to tell you, my physical defects of character, they get rampant. I get a high on making other people's assessments and inventories. And I have to realize that that is not God's will. And just because I can do it and do it, that like wealth does not mean that that's loving and kind towards everybody. So for me, like my, my job is in sobriety is that abstinence is abstinence of self-will. And it's turning over my entire self through those steps at all times in their fullness. And I think Siggy got this. He wasn't he wasn't harped on one step on one part of recovery. He's like, this is what starts it. This is where people get like the angst going and it ramps it up the most. Um, but with that, I pass. I just look forward to hearing more shares. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jackie. Me too. That was Jackie from Connecticut. And Melissa C., prior to that, from New York, just trying to remember to give those out so it helps on the contact list when you're looking. Okay, Rick J., followed by John M. Please go ahead, Rick. Uh, Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Rick J., and I'm a recovered but not cured compulsive overeater in Cary, North Carolina. Um, Yeah, what is it I am not cured of? (laughs) It's it's the the phenomenon of craving, you know, what certain foods, ingredients – hit my body it's like i was born with a fuse you know that's that's always there and not everybody has this fuse this fuse fuse this fuse that can um you know be ignited by this this flame of certain foods and and once it's lit there's no stopping it there's just no stopping it you know, I know that, uh, you know, at one level that there's certain foods are going to trigger those feel-good brain chemicals, you know, like dopamine. And, and that feeling, that feeling it produces, it locks onto my brain and to my emotional center, you know, like a parasite. It demands more, more, more. It, it can't let go of that because suddenly it's, it's doing for me what I could not produce on my own that doesn't come naturally to me. So now I've found something that at one level is working, but that fuse has been lit. And it's it's like that, uh, it's like those old cartoons where the the fuse winds around and they're trying to like pit it out. The fuse is unstoppable. It just keeps sparking and flying and going faster and faster. And there's that big, huge, you know, uh, pile of explosives, the, the dynamite that's just waiting, you know, when it goes off, you know, it blows up half the world and, um, you know, that, uh, phenomenon of craving, it's, it's the cycle of addiction. You know, it's, it's the addiction. That's what's there, that craving. And once I hit it, it's, it's going to start and I can't avoid it. That's for me, that's what, uh, you know, not cured means, you know, I can be recovered to where I've got a spiritual connection now. 
that keeps me from going there in the first place and lighting that fuse, but the fuse will never go away. And not everybody has that fuse. We have it and we can relate to that. And thank God, but you know, it's, it's really important for me to understand that that's a part of my chemistry, just like I have blue eyes. You know, my eyes will never turn green or brown. They're just blue. I'll never be able to take that fuse out. It's just a part of me. And if I don't light the fuse, it won't explode. <laughs> so I am very grateful that I understand that about myself. That's step one. I have to know that. I have to have absolutely no reservation about that. If I don't have that, then I will not be able to go forward in any kind of path of recovery. Now, just because I understand that doesn't mean that I'm not going to end up back in the food and lighting that fuse. There's a lot of things, you know, in this spiritual program of action that I have to do. It all starts with not lighting the fuse. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Rick J. from North Carolina. Okay, John M. followed by Elena C. Go ahead, John. You're up. Hi, John M. from Charleston. Happy to be here. Uh, everyone has these cravings, I've observed. Look, look around you. It's just a matter of what craving they have, not whether they have them. But the difference between those cravers and this group and the rest of the world is that OA members recognize they have this problem. And more importantly, they're willing to work to overcome this problem. How do they do that? Well, how can I accomplish what all the others don't seem to be able to? The higher power, duh. The first three steps. If we can accomplish, rather when we can accomplish those three steps, the rest is all going to fall into place. They're, they're like little soldiers, uh, obedient, and they start marching too. So... I'm just happy to be in this march. I know it's a, it's a long, grueling march, but hey, it's better than sitting on my fanny whining about being overweight or uh, eating too much. So uh, I'm happy to be in tune with this group, and that's all I have to say. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, John M. from Charleston. Okay, Elena C. followed by Glenn C. Elena, please go ahead. Good morning. This, can you hear me? I can very well. This is Elena C. Gratefully recovered compulsive overeater from Greenville, South Carolina, not far from Charleston. Um, so I really, I really resonated with this paragraph, and I really needed to hear this paragraph, and I need to hear it over and over. And you know, it was such a relief when I learned about this phenomenon of craving. At that time, this doctor said this uh, theory um, did not have too much research to back it up. Um, I know today there's a lot of like research coming out there that kind of even tells where in the brain the phenomenon of craving stays, which is prefrontal lobe. But this doctor was almost like he had an intuition about explaining this phenomenon of craving. And I think that that's amazing. And I think that probably comes from his higher power, not only himself. Um, but 
Um, it was very relieving. I no longer blame myself. I did not choose to have this phenomenon of craving. Phenomenal craving chose me. And, um, and, you know, when I go out there and I say I am allergic to sugar, and, and then people say, well, how do you mean you're allergic to sugar? Because it's kind of, oh, my God, you're allergic to sugar. Are you serious? Yeah, um, you know, and I say it's the sugar is the my body is when metabolizes sugar is abnormal. Um, and so I also want to talk about how it doesn't say in this paragraph that we are defective, that we are we have a disease. It's just that we are a separate entity, a distinct entity from um, from other people. Um, and it's, it's, it's just like that. We're different. It doesn't mean that we're bad or that we're sick or that we're crazy, or it's just that we're different than the majority. And, um, there's no treatment that eradicates it. There's no treatment that is going to satiate this craving of us. Once we put if we don't have entire abstinence, if I don't have entire abstinence, meaning that never, ever, 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 ever can I put that triggering food in my body without this phenomenal craving um, beginning again, which is there. That the only reason is not there right now is because I'm not eating the food that caused it. And I am very grateful that I have this explanation. And there's more right now to sustain the research is backing it up. And it's amazing also what the science um, is doing nowadays. But it started with this doctor that I believe he was in touch with his higher power when, when he explained this. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Elena C. from Greenville, South Carolina. All right, we have Glenn C. followed by Nancy R. And then we're going to take some more names. Please go ahead, Glenn. Uh, good morning. Thank you, Amy. My name is Glenn. I'm a compulsive overeater in New York. Uh, thanks, Larry, for getting us started. And thanks, everyone who shared. I'm getting a lot out of uh, this meeting. <clears throat> so I um, started attending this meeting two weeks ago today, and I've been abstinent since. And I'm feeling very grateful uh, and good about that. Thank you. And um, so... Yeah, I've got this phenomenon of craving as described, you know, uh, in the doctor's opinion in the big book, uh, related to a lot of substances and food <laughs> It's the last one I wanted to deal with after uh, 17 years of recovery. But uh, I'm, I'm finally doing it now. And I guess for me, you know, I needed to become honest, open-minded and willing with respect to how food was impacting my life. And, uh, you know, throughout my life, before recovery and in recovery, for that matter, um, you know, my weight was constantly fluctuating based upon how I was relating to food on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, I finally, you know, I'm surrendering on a daily basis uh, to the fact that I need to be abstinent in order to be happy, joyous, and free. You know, and that's just the bottom line because uh, I was fooling myself. You know, for the last couple of years, I've known I've needed to deal with this and just have put it off. Uh, but I've, I've recognized that my life is better 
rather than running out to the store to get an alcohol food and say, I'm just going to do it now. I'm going to say goodbye to this and then I'm not going to do it tomorrow. You know, like my mother used to tell me when I was a kid, tomorrow never comes, you know, and uh, I need to deal with it, but I can't do it on my own. And I need to uh, stay close to this program in order to, you know, continue the streak of uh, being abstinent one day at a time. And, you know, was, as was mentioned in the first share and a number of shares, a key component of all this is maintaining my spiritually, spiritual fitness. Now, you know, was I not spiritually fit two weeks ago? Uh, I don't know. I, I think I somewhat was spiritually fit, but I was unwilling to deal with this problem that I had. And I'm feeling good that I'm finally dealing with it. And uh, I hope to stay close to this uh, program and this group in particular. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Glenn C. from New York. Okay, before we go on to Nancy R., I just want to have a friendly reminder of where we are. We are on page, uh, we're in the doctor's opinion, on page XXX. Uh, we are unpacking the fifth paragraph only. So I just wanted to let people know where we are. Okay, Nancy R., please go ahead. Good morning, it's Nancy R. from Illinois. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, all the shares have been great this morning. Thank you, everyone. Um, there's so much in this paragraph, and mm -hmm. it just reminds me, you know, of my story is that, um, you know, I mean, we're going to go on to the mental obsession again, but um, this is um, so true. Um, I need to be entirely abstinent and um, when I started working um, the 12 steps again with my recovered sponsor last fall um, one of the first things she asked me to do is listen to um, one of the special edition podcasts on entire absence and um, you know I, I, I've been in program a long time so I was like okay I know what entire absence is and um, you know, after I got off that podcast, I texted her and I think I said, I don't think I've ever been entirely abstinent. And meaning that some of one or more of my addictive um, or red light foods, I've always been kind of like juggling, putting up and down, uh, testing. Um, you know, I'll put five of them down, but keep one. Um, I know early on in program, it took me you know, years to let go of certain things. Um, like I put down the sugar, I mean, this is years ago, but I put down the sugar right away, but I didn't put down the artificial sweeteners. And then, you know, I put that down and I didn't put down all the flour. Um, it, and, it, you know, this disease is just insidious. Like, let me try one thing at a time and keep ending up in misery instead of just asking God for the willingness to just surrender that I can't have any of these things. Um, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, says, does, um, eats with impunity, drinks with impunity. Um, it does not work for me. And if I pick any of them up, I don't have my life. And if I continue through the work of these steps and the fellowship of this program to keep them down one day at a time, um, I get to have a life. I get to have a life, an unimaginable life, a life that is unimaginable when I'm in the food. So I'm feeling very grateful this morning. And um, 
super grateful for the willingness to be entirely abstinent, to not be picking up and picking and choosing and going, let's see if this one works. Um, Because eventually it might not lead me back to binging on that food um, or ingredient, but it will lead me to something else. Uh, And with that, I pass. Thank you. Perfect timing. Okay, so we are going to open it up for some more shares. Um, Page XXX, fifth paragraph. Who else would like to share on what was read? Heidi B. New York. Heidi B. Pete B. Pete. Kathy J. Chicago. Ron G. J. Leah M. Okay. Leah, was it Leah M? Yeah, I think that's all we've got for today. All right, Heidi B, Pete B, Kathy J, Roz G, Leah M. Hopefully we'll get you guys all in here. All right, Heidi B, please go ahead. You didn't hear me, Amy? Hi, thank you so much, Heidi. Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't, yeah, I thought I was first. But no, you keep going, I can listen to Leah and everybody. Please go ahead. Okay, sorry, Janice, I did not hear you, I apologize. If we got room at the end, I'll stick you in there. All right, Heidi, please go ahead. Thank you. I'll be I'll be quick. I just had there were uh, two things that came up for me today when I read this. Um, first of all, um, you know the the allergy. Um, when I first began to understand um, the physical allergy, I really used that as an excuse. You know, like oh well, you know I have this allergy. There's really nothing I can do about it. And I kept using that as an excuse um, when I kept eating. And, um, you know, I I think about, I was actually thinking about um, my hay fever. I've had hay fever for a number of decades. And um, it's actually gotten progressively worse over the years. And so um, this all does make very good sense to me. Um, And when I take my antihistamines, Um, it gets better, you know, and so, um, but hay fever isn't curable. Um, And so I can, I can really, from my own personal experience, um, relate this idea of allergy and in a way that, you know, may make sense. I mean, it makes sense anyway, but that was like the, you know, kind of first way that I could um, understand it in the way that I previously understood the word allergy. And and then I um, think about where it says, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And that's the third time that it tells us this in, in the doctor's opinion, um, that we need to be entirely abstinent. Um, and it'll go on to say later, um, you know, what is the solution? So the way that I read that is, you know, here it's telling us abstinence is relief but it's not the solution. And that's, you know, that's just so important for me to remember. Abstinence is an absolute ground zero where I need to start before I can, um, before I can, you know, um, have the solution before I can do this program and um, really, um, you know, be able to understand what what the steps are telling me. So, yeah, grateful. Thank you for letting me share. I'll pass. 
Thank you, Heidi B. from New York. Pete B., you're up, followed by Kathy J. Go ahead, Pete. Uh, thank you, Amy. My name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered today by God's grace and mercy. I'm in Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for taking the meeting. And I heard a lot of really good things. You know, like what I like about this paragraph that, you know, the doctor, who's not an alcoholic, but in his observation, is, is pointing out clearly that, you know, we have one symptom in common. One symptom in common. Right, the mental part of our disease, this mental aspect, this you know dealing with emotions, those take those take multiple forms. I think you can, you, know, you could you could write books and books and books, but those those are not those, those don't necessarily you know those, those mental aspects, the emotional parts, and all those other things, those are not necessarily the things we have in common. This is the one thing we have in common: this abnormal physical reaction that our body gets. Right. So it's not, it's not my job as a recovered individual to tell you what the problem is, what the mental problem is, right? Because that takes multiple forms. Like if my way, my, my approach to this recovery process may be different from yours. And it's not my job to tell you that's what you're supposed to be doing to deal with it. We have a 12-step a, a program that outlines what we're supposed to be doing about it. Right? We, we talked about spiritual malady, right? My spiritual malady is not, is not because I was a bad person. My spiritual malady was not because I did bad things. It's all true. Had guilt, remorse, shame, and blame all associated with it. My spiritual malady, my spiritual disease, is that I constantly seek out solutions to my physical and mental problem that have proven to me to not be sufficient and which is documented to be not sufficient in this entire textbook. So the idea that I can have a psychological experience, right, almost is like overshadows the fact that I have to have a psychic, which means for a spiritual experience, right? So my malady is that I constantly constantly try to solve the problem myself. I constantly tried to have you solve my problem. I tried to constantly have groups of people solve my problems or 10-step trains to follow, solve my problems or the right, you know, personal trainer or guru or not. No. One solution here. If we had this, if we have this component coupled with the mental condition, all we, the only hope we have is to have a spiritual experience. And we have that spiritual experience by implementing this process or maybe another spiritual process, right? Because it says we may need to have a spiritual experience. It doesn't say this has to, this is the only spirit, the only way to have a spiritual experience. There are many out there. Okay. But this one, according to people on this line, it's 100% successful if implemented in entire absence. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Pete B. from Pennsylvania. Kathy J., you're up, followed by Ross J. Go ahead, Kathy. Hi, everybody. Kathy, Compulsive Reader. Um, I love this um, section because, um, you know, I had to get the allergy part um, before I could understand to set aside these foods. I couldn't keep the foods aside if I was craving um, because I was emotionally um, at too high a level. The emotion is the allergy. I have much higher emotional um, levels than other people do. 
as a compulsive overeater. So I need to find a way to, you know, God, God is through God, but I have to find a way to reduce my wants, to reduce my, uh, you know, the way I'm dealing with my feelings by trying to eat instead. I just feel them, make a phone call, get on my knees and I ask God to remove my, you know, whatever's going on or clean up whatever mess I've made. Just God, I don't know what it is that's going on with me. I don't care. Just remove it. That works. And then once the emotions go down, I can look at what, you know, what it is. But anyway, solving problems, um, this is the solution. If I, if I don't pick up that first bite, it's only one, I won't crave. If I deal with my emotion, feel them, use the tools, I won't, I won't crave. If I have a spiritual um, solution, which come to believe, I believe God can, I can weigh what he wants me to weigh. I can eat what he wants me to meet eat and deal, um, you know, and he, he, you know, in the morning, man, before my disease gets up before I do, I have to have that, um, that quiet time in the morning in prayer, or I'm going to go into the day, you know, with my own resources and my own resources fail. And lastly, yeah, um, I'm not abnormal in OA. I'm right in there in, in OA. I belong totally. I just don't belong the way the other people, uh, in, and I do relate to other addictions too. I could have any one, but I got this one. And um, and thank God because I have a solution. Just sit there and be quiet. I just listen to what God, you know. God, I don't know what to do. This is all messed up. Help me. Help me. You know. And it happens. Wait thirty seconds before you do anything else. It's the behavior exchange. It's all about what I do. Am I going to do this or am I going to do that? And and it's all, and I have no choice if I pick up what the behavior and the next behavior is going to be. So, yeah, this guy was a, a guy from, from you know, heaven, really. The doctors, um, you know, the science is there. So I don't have to say I'm awful. I can say uh, I'm getting healthier. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Kathy J. I missed where you were from. Could you tell me, please? I'm from okay. Chicagoland. From Chicago. There we go. Thanks, Kathy J. from Chicago. All right. So we've got Rob G. and Leah M. And we've got five minutes. If you guys could split it, that would be great. Go ahead, Rob. Okay. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Roz G. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Palmdale, California, in Los Angeles County. And the first time I uh, associated the word allergy with Overeaters Anonymous was listening to a Joe and Charlie cassette tape uh, from mm-hmm. a sponsor that I had 20 years ago. And um, allergy in, in the dictionary is a damaging immune response by the body to a substance, especially pollen, fur, or a particular food. And I didn't understand how I could have an allergic reaction. I thought that that meant that um, if I, you know, if I ate strawberries, I would break out in hives or sassafras root from the gumbo pot, uh, one of the major ingredients in gumbo, and that 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 my body would break out in hives. I I didn't understand that when I eat um, any any kind of salty corn chip that my tongue starts to swell, that that's an allergic reaction, that that's my body telling me that uh, it doesn't agree with me. Or 
that um, when I drink caffeine, my heart races and I get extremely hyper and almost high when I drink coffee with caffeine or any drink with caffeine in it. And that the the crazy part is, is that I want more and more of it. And it didn't take until I, you know, until I was really in a lot of pain for me to let it go. I didn't say, gee, this really, this really sucks. I don't like what this is doing to me. I kept doing it. It wasn't until uh, I, it, what, what happened to me was what the big book says is that our bodies are, you know, we have to be pretty deeply mangled and in a lot of pain before we commence to solve our problems. I wish I could say I did, I did the opposite, but I didn't. But I'm so grateful for all of that because I'm able to share it with sponsees. I'm able to relate and identify and get somewhere. And it's given me a fear of that food. And I recoil from it from a hot flame today. And I have a pretty happy life today, a normal-sized body. And my tongue doesn't swell when I eat my food anymore. So thank you. And I'll pass and leave time for the next person. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rosie from Palmdale, California. Leah M., you're up. Please take us out. Good morning, Amy. Thank you. This is Leah M., Real Compulsive Overeater. For a long time, I didn't know what that meant. Um, I had to get an education about the exact nature of my condition, and I got that from the text that we study every morning. I knew I had a problem with food and with compulsive overeating, but I didn't know how my disease functioned. And I got that education from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because even though the big book is talking about alcohol alcohol, and alcoholism, and I'm a compulsive overeater and have been since I was a little, little, tiny, tiny kid, when the big book uses words of alcohol and alcoholism, and I use words of food and compulsive overeating instead of alcohol and alcoholism, the big book is talking about me. I identify in. Because when Dr. Silkworth was talking about that when an alcoholic took even a little bit of alcohol into his system, that switch went, in, you know, went on inside their body, and only one thing the alcoholic wanted to do was drink more alcohol, and I related to that. Because I also have that switch. When I reviewed my eating history, um, I could identify certain substances since I was a little kid that had that same effect on me, just like alcohol on the alcoholic. You know, not just a taste sensation. When I ate certain foods, my body got triggered and I would eat more and more and more of that food and I would stop feeling and I would get anesthetized and numbed out and sedated and drunk with food. And I learned through this text that there are certain foods that have that same physical effect on me, like the alcohol for the alcoholic. It's a drug effect. I have this problem. (laughs) And it's a very big problem. But if the physical allergy uh, and those foods were the only problem, I wouldn't need to be here with you in in Overeaters Anonymous because I wouldn't need the 12 steps. All I would have to do is figure out what my trigger foods were and abstain from that, and it would just be an academic and intellectual exercise, but that doesn't work for someone like me. I have to refrain from compulsive overeating and be in a state of food sobriety, be as sober with food as an alcohol has to be, an alcoholic has to be with alcohol, and uh, and then 
handle <laughs> the greater aspect of my disease, which is the mental obsession, and that's what the rest of the steps are for, because the rest of the steps are designed to relieve me of that mental obsession and restore me to sanity, and that's what happened, and one day at a time, it continues, and with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks so much, Leah M. All right. What an awesome meeting, everyone. Uh, great shares. Thank you to everyone who shared. Uh, please join us for another awesome second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing of this one. The share ID for today, 7 a.m. Tuesday, April 26th, OA Vision for You meeting is 18,884. That's 18884. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Nancy T. Uh, please read a vision for you. Thank you Go, um, for your service. Nancy T. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Lewiston, Idaho. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.